April Fool's Day was Saturday, but with the BS sham indictment of Trump, the Trans Day of Visibility, and the clear pathway China now has to run roughshod over planet Earth, April Fool's is every damn day. Joining me in just a little bit is lawyer for Donald J. Trump, Alina Haba. Then, six Christians were murdered by a trans here in Nashville one week ago. But if I only listened to the fake news media, I'd think it was the other way around. Ian Smith joins me later with his take. And last but not least, my final thoughts on Trump, Bragg, and the indictment heard around the world. The show starts now. Last Thursday was a dark day for America and our justice system. After weeks of back and forth, the Manhattan DA's office decided the political persecution of Donald J. Trump was worth making a mockery of New York, the justice system, and America as a whole. China is loving this as the communists are actively taking over the world. Here in the U.S. of BS, we're trying to arrest a former president for allegedly paying off a porn star. What a clown world. The party that believes murderers and repeat felons are just misunderstood or victims of climate injustice wants Trump behind bars. This is the definition of political persecution. In case you need another example of what Alvin Bragg's justice looks like, here's another one for you. A Manhattan parking garage attendant who was shot twice while confronting an alleged thug, then wrestled the gun away and opened fire on the suspect, had been charged with attempted murder. Now, given the optics of it all, they've declined to prosecute. Convenient. You know, I spend a lot of time in New York, thank goodness I don't live there, but I have to wonder what those of you who call that overpriced, rat-infested, crime-ridden hellhole home think about the Soros-funded DA's priorities. DA Bragg reduced over 50% of felonies to misdemeanors last year, but his office has jerry-rigged some cockamamie years-old charges against a former president for allegedly paying off a porn star? Alvin Bragg will go down in history as a fraud, a fake, and a loser, but as for Donald J. Trump, he's already winning. Not only have his poll numbers surged, his campaign raised $4 million bucks in 24 hours, and the donations keep pouring in. But Bragg is just a sacrificial lamb for Soros and the Democrat Party. But by the looks of all these things, y'all will be lamb chops on the mega grill. Joining me now with what we need to know about the indictment, the pending arrest, and more is attorney to former President Donald J. Trump, Alina Haba. Alina, it's great to have you. I know it's probably a very, very busy day over in your world, as it is for the rest of us here in the U.S. of A., but I have a whole lot of questions for you, and I want to just jump right in. Go ahead. Happy to be here. All right. So the first thing I want to ask you is last Thursday night, I was flying to New York. I was planning to be on Hannity for our live audience show. And then all of this went down, right? And so our show completely changed. I had the opportunity to be with Joe, and I talked to him in the green room. And he told me that the team was really kind of blindsided by this indictment, given the grand jury had taken a break, and it all seemed very baseless. It seemed like it was all unraveling. So was this really a big blindside moment for the Trump team? Yes, it was. And I think it shouldn't have been. I think it should have been something that if I was... Uh, working with a former president or anybody, frankly, as respect out of, to them, you kind of want to coordinate with their team and you want to be as cooperative as possible because you're about to go into, you know, years long or months long trial. You're going to have to do favors when one needs more time to answer this or that. Um, so it was very childish. The way it came out was was not appropriate, in my opinion. But here we are. Right. And there's 30 plus counts. And of course, we don't know exactly what this case entails, but 
we think it's about the Stormy Daniels' alleged hush money payment, the, the NDA, the glorified NDA of it all. But these 30-plus counts, what can the American people expect when we finally do see all the details of this indictment coming out probably tomorrow? Yeah, you know, it's going to be um, stacking of misdemeanor charges. That's what they do. They stack. They're trying to, you know, this was something that... First of all, it was a felony to even have been leaked because it came out of their office and it is a felony to talk about the details of an indictment before the indictment is shown to the defendant. So let's remember that. So there may have been a felony here, but the felony was probably out of their office, number one. Number two, what do I think it was? I think it's, they're, they're probably piecing together something to make it bigger than it needs to be or should be because it never happened. We already know that the federal prosecutors looked at this case. They dismissed it and said they wouldn't bring charges. The FEC that regulates regulates crime for campaign finance laws dismissed this. So now you have a state level, which is completely the wrong venue, bringing 30 to 34 charges we're hearing. It's probably something like they're going to take each check that was cut and make it its own individual misdemeanor so that they can chalk it up to be something more than it is. This is all such a sham, such a disappointment, but really it's not very surprising. I want to talk about Michael Cohen because he is absolutely loving this. He's on every mainstream media platform. They're all salivating over it. But it was really odd to me because he was on CNN last week talking about it, and he seemed to almost sympathize with the former president. Let's take a listen, and I want to get your reaction. I don't want to see him paraded that way. Why Remember, not? because he's a former president of the United States, because I actually care more about the office of the presidency of the United States than he does. I don't want to see this made into the laughing stock of the world. This is unprecedented. And the more that we keep this, we'll call it classy, the better it is for our position in the world. I got to get your thoughts on this because Michael Cohen, I mean, he's a felon, he's a liar, he's a weasel. Now he's coming out and he's really worried about the office of the presidency. What is your take? Yeah, you know why he's worried about the office of the presidency? Because he would love to be in the office of the presidency, which is why he's so mad at Donald Trump, because he wouldn't take him. Michael Cohen is a joke. To me, he is a joke. He is an embarrassment to my profession, which is why he no longer holds a license. He is somebody who cannot get over uh, Donald Trump. He's like an, a stage five clinger. I mean, that's who he is. And he acts like he's doing something for this country. This is all the Michael Cohen show. That's why he makes money on his podcast. That's why he writes books at opportune times when he goes into DAs and AGs. The guy's a joke. I don't want to even get into it because you'll see a little bit of Alina Hoppe fury but I think he is uh, a comedy show and needs to get a life. I agree. Uh, the other networks are really loving him, though, because he's providing them exactly what they need, that little fix for their Trump derangement syndrome. They love talking about Trump. We know this. The only time they, they get anybody to watch, and they still really don't, is when they talk about Trump. So they're absolutely obsessed. They're also stage five clingers, if I'm being honest. I want to talk about Stormy Daniels, though, because we talked about this last week on Hannity, and I think a lot of Americans are very confused with this case because it's very confusing because it's ridiculous. But Stormy Daniels in 2018, in writing, denied having an affair with Donald Trump. So I don't understand, and a lot of Americans don't understand how we're still discussing it. Can you address that part of this equation? 
Without getting into the indictment, I can't really address exactly what is coming or how they concocted it. I can tell you what I can assume is happening. This was seven years ago. They looked into this. This woman came out of the woodwork when he was running for presidency. And you know this. She said, I slept with Donald Trump. She wanted to sell her story. And basically, she signed an NDA, is my understanding, and, and uh, was paid to not do so. So now somebody else owns the rights. That's the way that works. It's like a contract. So then she comes out and she says, no, I didn't really sleep with him. Effectively, it's like an admission that you were basically extorting him. You wanted to get money out of him. You did. You wanted to embarrass him. You tried. And uh, federal prosecutors looked into it and said, no, there's nothing here. He didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't paid with campaign money. It wasn't paid by Donald Trump. It was paid by Michael Cohen, who took a loan out to pay her. Uh, and then again, the FEC looked into it. They had an obligation to because he was a president candidate. Um, again, they said there was no campaign finance law violation. And today we have a state actor who is Soros-backed and trying to make a headline for himself. But the headline that he's going to get is going to be very funny. It's going to be, you are the joker of the DAs of all DAs. You have embarrassed the Democrat Party and you have probably pushed Donald Trump into the White House. So for him, for that, I think, I thank Brad, but we'll see him in court. So I wonder what the next step is this uh, of this process is. You know, we expect tomorrow for Donald Trump to be arraigned. Uh, is it going to go smoothly? I know that that's what the team has been saying. It's not going to be some, you know, big spectacle, or at least they don't want it to be. But are they going to make him do the perp walk? I mean, how is this going to go tomorrow for all of us Americans out there who are really dreading what's going to happen tomorrow? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, obviously, I'm not a criminal attorney. We all know what the normal process is. I think we saw what they did with poor Alan Weisselberg. Um, and, you know, they try and make a mockery out of you. They try and humiliate you. What they don't understand about Donald Trump is the more you try and humiliate the man, the more he stands up and fights. So it's not really going to work in their favor. You're going to put him on a pedestal and he'll take that mic and he'll run with it. So what they're doing is silliness. Yes, he will have to go to court. He's on his way to New York right now where I am and uh, will be you know, at Trump Tower this evening. Tomorrow he will go to court. He will do what he needs to do. Um, but no, there will not be handcuffs. And we'll, we'll see how far they try and push him. But the reality is he's a former president and he's a leading candidate and they're going to have to respect that office. If you were to estimate, how long do you think that this process is going to take? Is this going to stretch through the primary season, through the election season, after the election? What do you estimate and what can we expect? Um, well, trials in New York, typically, if you're not Donald Trump, can take years. If you're Donald Trump and you're leading in the polls, I'm sure the judges will try and rush it. I have that with my Letitia James attorney general case. Um, we've seen that. You know, they filed in November. We're going to to a trial in October, it's unheard of. Um, so everything with Donald Trump is different. You know, I could tell you what I've seen in over my decade of practicing law in New York, but that's gonna be different with Donald Trump because it's politically motivated. So I'm not sure. And hopefully we get this dismissed on a motion to dismiss immediately. Uh, I think the American people would love to see that. And all American people, regardless if they like Trump or not, should want that to happen because this is such a miscarriage of justice. Um, my last question for you, how is Trump doing? I know that we I've talked to a lot of people that are very close to the president. I know that he posted our clip of on Hannity uh, on his Truth Social, which I was really happy to see. But how does he feel? I know he's a fighter, but behind closed doors, how is he holding up? Well, he's not in tears, I'll tell you that. He's he's a fighter behind closed doors and out in the public eye because that is who he is. I think the only 
thing that makes him sad in this is the state of our country. And it only motivates him more to get back in that White House and fix the mess that uh, Joe Biden and his cohorts have done to this state. And and the state of our country is in shambles. That's the only time you'll see him upset uh, is when he thinks about what's happened to America because he does love this country. But no, for himself, he's not. He's a fighter. He will fight. He will continue to fight. And, you know, for he's like the definition of what doesn't break you makes you stronger. That's Donald Trump. He is Teflon Don. They've gone after him so many times and they still cannot sink him. And I will say this, the silver lining in all of this, and I said this on Hannity the other night as well, we know that there is a two-tiered system of justice in this country, and a lot of conservatives have been feeling that pain, pro-life Christians and others. Moms at school board meetings have been feeling it. So maybe this needed to reach a fever pitch with somebody like Donald Trump, who is a fighter, who has the resources. Maybe this is the person that's going to expose all of it and really drain that legal swamp. That's the only bright spot I can see in this, but also we know the Trump campaign is doing very well because of it. So fight on. God bless you all. We're all thinking about you and best of luck to you all tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Still ahead from the Trump witch hunt to the trans day of visibility and more. I've got Ian Smith on deck and he's not pulling any punches. That's next. was last Thursday here in Nashville, and by the left's new favorite definition, it sure looks like an insurrection to me. These insurrectionists claim it was just a peaceful protest against gun rights. Yeah, sure. Enough with this. The left's favorite argument is that they only want some of your guns. Hmm, where have we seen this movie before? Kind of like how we just needed two weeks to flatten the curve. Be careful giving up your rights and freedoms, folks. You will likely never get them back. And P.S. You'll have a better chance of outlawing air in Tennessee than guns. Joining me now with his thoughts on that and so much more is entrepreneur and author of Find Your Hill, Ian Smith. Ian, it's great to have you, and I have a feeling you have a lot to say about all of this uh, trans wonders that we've experienced in the last couple of weeks. Of course. It's hilarious seeing the uh, the insurrection, um, being that I was there on January 6th and I saw what the peaceful protest actually looked like um, from from a bird's eye view and from from uh, uh, my perspective. And um, we've seen, what, two, three incidents now where these people have stormed the Capitol with, with zero repercussions for them, uh, yet we have people that were led in by the police on January 6th who are still in prison to this day. It's, it's absolutely disgusting. And it's something that I think every single American should be up in arms about because this is a two um, a two tier justice system, and uh, and most Americans are falling within the target of that justice system. Were you surprised after the Tucker Carlson report and then the release of the QAnon shaman last week? Uh, were you surprised to see that happen so quickly, or do you think that they had no choice? Um, I think that they have no choice. You know, most people that you'll talk to on a regular basis kind of understand that like January 6th was not what they say it is. Not a whole lot of people really understand what it actually was, but I think that most Americans can look at that and go, mm, I don't know if it was as bad as Pearl Harbor, you know, like the left likes to say. 
Um, so I think they're running out of road here and it's about time. I mean, we're, we're almost two years out. We're, we're two years out from it. It's, it's, it's insane um, that these people are still behind bars. These are good, honest Americans who didn't do anything wrong. They didn't harm anybody and their lives have been absolutely ruined to further a political cause. And if, if that happens in America, then, you know, what freedoms do we actually have? I mean, our country's eroding in front of us and it, it couldn't be more clear. Well, we're going to talk about that more a little later because that justice system is going after Donald Trump again, and I want to get your thoughts. But first, I want to go back to this because here in Nashville, Tennessee, a week ago, we had six Christians gunned down, shot up by a transgender person. And if you only watch the mainstream media, you would think it was the other way around because we've had the White House talk about how trans people are under attack. We've had a trans day of vengeance, which turned into visibility. We've had everything trans, 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 companies coming out in support of trans rights, you name it. And to me, it really feels like we're glossing over the six Christians who were murdered here in Nashville. I know that you probably have a take on that and you're probably equally as disgusted. We should be disgusted no matter what. Uh, you know, six lives lost, three children, you know, and and three three adults is is a horrible thing to happen, regardless of who you are. But but what's what really hurts is that these are not a protected class of people, you know, even though they're literally children, but they don't fall into these definitions of oppressed minorities or oppressed classes of people. So our leaders, or our, you know, if you want to call them our leaders, uh, our, our selected leaders have zero concern for it whatsoever. But if the tables were turned in and God forbid it was three trans children or God forbid it was three people of the LGBT community, or if it was three other protected minorities, that would be a hate crime. Um, and people would be prosecuted right away and you would hear all sorts of claims about, you know, it, it's white people's fault or it's straight people's fault or it's this. And now they just want to sweep it right under the rug. And, and we've seen this so many times. Um, and it, it just really makes it clear who is important to these people. They 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 are not interested in the average American. They're not interested in the concerns of the average American, the average American safety. They are looking uh, for professional victims who want to be taken care of by the government because these are the people that are going to hand over that control that we were talking about um, to the government, which is exactly what they want. They want more control. So they'll, they'll placate these people and they'll pretend like they're their friends. They've done this to the black community for years and years and years. They pretended like they're always going to be there. And the black community always winds up getting the short end of the stick when Democrats get their votes and they pull out and come back four years later looking for more. Well, you mentioned what the left usually reacts to when we have some kind of a shooting situation. And it's usually toxic masculinity, white males are the problem. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, but here you have a white person who identified as a man, but now we're not talking about toxic masculinity because this person has to be trans. Oh, and by the way, they refuse to release the manifesto that we know that we have, that our police chief in Nashville alluded to it being a targeted crime because of that manifesto and other evidence that they found. Why do you think they're not releasing this manifesto? What do you think we would find in it if they would be so brave and so bold as to let the American people see what's in it? Well, you'd find out what we already know, that this was a hate crime, that this was somebody who is clearly unhinged, somebody who is clearly mentally unstable and who really does need help. These people, you know, they, they, have, they have mental issues and that's not a problem. The problem is, is that they're not being 
they're not being helped. They're just continuously being told that they're these victims and that that they're, there's this genocide against them. And there's all these things when, when in reality, these people just need some help and some counseling or whatever it is. They don't need to be told that they're victims. They don't need to be told that the world hates them. They don't need to be told that, that white people or straight people are coming after them. Because the reality is, is that we could care less. We just want our schools to be safe. And if this person wrote a manifesto before they committed this heinous crime, that should be out for the public to see, because I bet you that there's something in there that is of concern. The government never releases anything uh, of any value, you know, and, and when they do, it's usually redacted, you know, to the point of absurdity. So, of course, there's something in there. And of course, there's something they're hiding because it'll blow the narrative up that they're trying to um, that they're trying to, to push that you know, that trans people are under attack when in reality, these people are completely unhinged. Um, they're out of touch with reality. They're pumped up with drugs that they shouldn't be pumped up with. And you want to talk about toxic masculinity. There's nothing more toxically masculine than a woman pretending to be an aggressive male and totally mischaracterizing what it means to be a, a man. Being a man doesn't mean that you go around hurting people. It doesn't mean that you're violent. It means that you, you, you protect and there's a no better example of toxic masculinity than a woman uh, who shot up a bunch of testosterone and messed her 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 headspace up so badly that she decided that she was going to get a gun and go to a school where there are innocent children and shoot them. Right. Well, I also believe that trans people are victims, but they're not victimized by who the left wants you to think they're victimized by. They're victimized by the left and by Big Pharma, who wants to exploit these people for their entire lives. Because once you get these people on these hormones and you start with the puberty blockers, this, that, and the other, you have a customer for life. So Big Pharma is behind all of this. The Democrats, you're right, they see them as useful idiots. They see them as pawns in the game. So I do feel badly for these people, and I wish that they could recognize that the people that they think are their enemies are quite actually their allies, and we want to see them get the help that they so desperately need. But I want to talk about, because you brought up something, and I want to get your take on it. It's been really swept under the rug. But the government just came out and said that they found the motive behind the Las Vegas shooting. And it was because the gentleman, the gentleman was upset at the casinos. And that's what they finally came out with years and years later. We really heard nothing about that. It was really hush. Nobody talked about it. Nobody wanted to know anything about it. But all of a sudden, they found the answer. He went and shot up a music festival because he was mad at the casino. How legitimate yeah. do you think that answer is for us? That makes that makes absolutely no sense. Um, the likelihood of that happening is, is zero. There's not even there's not even a chance. I mean, I'm a gambler myself. I've lost plenty of money in the casinos. And the only person I ever wanted to shoot was myself when I was done. Um, there's no way that this man decided that he was so angry at the casino that he was going to bring whatever it was, 20 some guns upstairs and shoot into a crowd who had nothing to do with it. I mean, this just shows you how what the people that are in control of our government think of us and, and in terms of our intelligence, like that's the story we get after however many years it's been four or five years. That's the story we get. And they think that we're, we're just going to buy that. And um, it, it just really shows you that like these people, these people think that Americans are stupid and they think that they're just going to buy anything and that, that they can just say or do whatever they please. Oh yeah. The Las Vegas shooter, he was mad about a gambling loss. So he, 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 committed a, a massacre of epic proportions. You know, anybody who would even remotely believe that, I mean, is of the lowest level of intelligence possible. And, and most Americans are going to look at that and laugh. 
but we've lost so much faith in our government that we don't even expect them to tell the truth anymore. Anybody who's heard that laughed at it and just goes on with their day because they don't even expect to be told the real story behind anything anymore. We haven't been told the real story for, for who knows how long. We've been led into wars. We've been led into this. We've been led into lockdowns, shutdowns, mandates, all these things. Everything the government does is based on a lie. Well, that brings us to the news of the day, the Trump indictment. Now, listen, I think this is a dark day for justice. I think it's despicable. I think that in the end, Trump will be victorious on the legal counts of all of this. They've tried to go after this man so many times, and it has failed. And I think this is maybe the weakest case they've ever had against the man. But they're bringing it forth because I think that they know that in a general election, this will damage him. But I want to get your thoughts on this, not just on the indictment itself, but what this means for 2024 and what your advice would be to the conservative movement, the mega movement, the Republican Party moving forward on how we need to use this, how we need to strategize with this, and what's the best case scenario for our party moving forward? You know, the indictment, I, I read through parts of it, and I've read through uh, a couple people who are of much more of a legal mind than I am, and it is a very, very weak indictment. It's not going to go anywhere. I think they know that. They're going to try to just drag it out as much as they possibly can. Um, when it comes to the response, I think this is something that we should lean into. You know, and I, I don't think that Trump is afraid to do that. And I think he's already begun to do that. But as conservatives, as pro-America, America first Americans, we need to lean into this idea that they think that we're the bad guy. Stop trying to stop trying to prove yourself, you know, to these people, because there's no there's no proving that we're not bad to them. They're always going to try to villainize us. They're always going to try to say that we're the bad guys and we're trying to do this and we're trying to oppress Go ahead. Let them talk all we want. Continue to mobilize and organize. We can't even bother. It, it's a laughable scenario. So treat it like the joke that it is. It was just like, you know, at Attila's gym when we were arrested, we knew it was a joke. So we made an absolute joke of it. We, you know, we were, we were sitting in, in, a, in a holding cell arrested because we took the doors off of our business. And what did we do? We, we got our cell phones and we went on, you know, Instagram live and we were joking and laughing and making fun of the, you know, making fun of the prosecutor who was trying to come up with some charges. So lean into it, ignore it um, and focus on the real thing. And that is getting ready for the biggest election that, that we've ever had, the most important election we've ever had and dedicating our time and our energy and our money to making sure that we don't see a repeat of 2020. So going along with that, here's my fear and concern. I believe that Republicans will mobilize around Donald Trump. I believe the mega voters that have been with Trump since 2016 will continue to be there more forcefully than ever. I don't think that's going to be a problem at all. However, what I'm concerned about is the independence. We can't win on Republicans alone, and we're not even going to get all of Republicans if we have Trump as our nominee. How do we reach out to independents who are just sick of the drama. They're sick of the Trump show. They just want to move forward. They want to save the country. They think Biden's a joke. They think Democrats are a joke, but they will not under any circumstances vote for Donald Trump. What do we do with that very real reality into 2024? As you mentioned, the most important election probably of our lifetime. You know, I, that's a that's a really good question um, because independent voters are always are it, for the most part they're always going to decide the election. And you're right, a lot of people are kind of just sick of the drama. Like it's not necessarily like they don't like they don't not like Trump. They're just tired of the chaos that comes with him, right? Because even if Trump does the right thing, there's chaos because these people have not left him alone since 2017. There's always something connected to him. So 
I think it's just a, a matter of changing the messaging a little bit. Like they're going to continue to hammer at Trump, hammer at Trump, hammer at Trump, hammer at Trump. And I think as conservatives, we just have to show something better um, and show that we are the better option and that what we are presenting, yes, it does come with the baggage of like the, the political theater and the drama, you know, but there aren't any other viable options. Ron DeSantis is not another viable option. You know, I don't care what anybody thinks about him. You can call him America's governor and all that, but he's not a, a, a presidential candidate. The reality is, is that most people can at least put it in their mind what life was like under Trump before COVID. And that was a great time for every single American. And I think if we can get that messaging out there, that that's what we're trying to restore. The sanity pre-March 2020. Everybody had money in their pockets. Gas was cheap. Life was good. Nobody was testing us on the world stage. And we need to remind the independent voters that that is what America first offers. That's what Donald Trump offers. And all the other stuff is, is what we have to deal with because of the political theater. It's just part of the game. There's not going to be a third party candidate and there's not going to be a, a secondary Republican who's going to provide any real challenge and any better option than what Donald Trump has. He's shown that he can do the job. He's shown that he's versed in geopolitics. He's shown that he can steer the economy in the right direction. And these are the issues that are in the, the forefront of people's minds right now, war and economy. And we need to remember, we need to remind them that under Donald Trump, we had no new wars. And under Donald Trump, we had a great economy. I think you're right about that. That needs to be the strategy heading into 2024, just in general. It needs to be, let's get America back. Let's save America. It used to be great. This political party, this president has destroyed it. And I think that that is a winning message. If we communicate it effectively and we get our ground game mobilized, because if we do not take advantage of ballot harvesting where it's legal and early voting, we will lose and we will sit there with our tail between our legs and wonder why, like we always do. So that can't be an option. But Ian, thank you for being with me, for standing strong. I always appreciate your commentary. We'll talk to you soon. Coming up, we all know this Trump indictment is a sham and will likely fail, just like every other witch hunt they've waged against him. But could their plan be even more calculated than meets the eye? Well, I've got some final thoughts for you next. This Trump indictment is utter BS, but never underestimate the left's ability to bait us into a bad spot. Hear me out. It's time for final thoughts. So if the case against Trump is indeed some cockamamie thrown together charges surrounding a glorified NDA to Stormy freaking Daniels, then I don't think the Trump team has much to worry about. And contrary to Nancy Pelosi's understanding of the criminal justice code and constitution, Trump doesn't need to prove his innocence. The corrupt prosecutors need to prove his guilt. This is Trump derangement syndrome on hormone blockers, and it's likely as legally meritless as it appears. Why then would the Manhattan DA and Democrat Party cheer this on? I mean, I know they've wanted to find a way to put that man behind bars since he came down the golden elevator, but why take a case even the highly political DOJ wouldn't touch? Not only are they going to have an uphill legal battle to fight, they've set a very dangerous precedent with this indictment that could very well be used against a Democrat in the future. Hmm, wait a dag on second. Maybe that's part of the plot here. We all know the Democrats don't want to run Ice Cream Joe in 2024, so maybe they're pulling a two-for-one here. Maybe, and I know this seems crazy, but stick with me here. 
Maybe they're opening the door to prosecute a president because they're okay with the big guy going down next. To go after Trump for allegedly paying off a porn star when the Chinese Communist Party has been paying off the Biden crime family for nearly a decade? Well, that seems pretty short-sighted unless that's what the Democrat machine wants. Here's my theory and feel free to disagree. I think they want to use this new precedent to not only go after Trump, fuel the mega movement and lock him in as our nominee, a nominee they see as easy to beat, but I think they want to use this precedent to oust Biden too and put Gavin Newsom in his spot for 2024. Conservatives, a lot of y'all are taking their bait hook, line, and sinker. This political witch hunt against Trump is an outrage and we have to condemn it fully. But if you were rooting for DeSantis and now you're rooting for Trump solely because of this indictment, well, you might be getting played by the DNC for a fool. Sure, amongst our already mega voting bloc, this indictment has increased Trump's popularity and fundraising totals, but you're forgetting about independence and unsurprisingly, this indictment is not making them more mega because a lot of y'all are forgetting a very crucial reality we face in America. A lot of your fellow voters watch the fake news media and they don't see this indictment as a witch hunt, which it 100% is. They see it as another reason Trump is a bad orange man. Guess what? Hate to burst y'all's mega bubbles, but we need to win at least some of these fake news media watching folks to win in 2024. And if Trump is indeed our nominee solely because we want to have his back, well, I hate to tell you, but we're probably going to lose again in 2024. Some of you are going to hate me for saying this, but it's my duty to tell you the way I see it. I support Trump. I support his fight against this sham indictment, but it's not enough to convince me he's our nominee or make me blindly hand 2024 over to the communist, Marxist, Democrat, America-hating left. None of the battles y'all want to fight matter if we lose in 2024, and that's the cold, hard truth, and those are my final thoughts. God bless Donald Trump, his legal team, and his family as they fight this next battle. From Nashville, God bless and take care.